Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. You are largely defined, I think, by the sort of person that you are. I recognise that. I recognise the fact that I was very single-minded, devoted to my sport and to achieving academically. But actually I think that I see the weaknesses in that now. Today I'm talking to Trevor Llewellyn who teaches geography at Dulwich College, my old school and is secretary of the Alain Club. He lives in East Dulwich with his partner Louise. Welcome Trevor and thanks for joining me. Hello Andrew, it's lovely to speak to you again. After leaving school, uh, you were the year ahead of me I seem to remember, uh, you went to Cambridge University to read geography. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what you were like at school and why geography was the thing you decided to do. Why did you want to go to Cambridge? Yeah, I guess if we take me right back to when I was 11, I came from a very small primary school in South Croydon with what you might consider to be a very restrictive curriculum. I mean, it was literally, you know, a bit of maths, a bit of English, a little bits of science. We, we didn't do any foreign languages, a uh, bit of history, a bit of geography uh, dotted in there. And then I got a, a free place to, to Dulwich through the 11 plus and I struggled if I'm if I'm honest um, all of this wide ranging curriculum new subjects things that I was very unsure about maths I really was never very good at um, but I I found I enjoyed English I loved reading always enjoyed reading and became very quickly interested in geography so I, th I suppose it was a subject I found accessible. It was something I'd got some past enjoyment from. And, you know, and this is the important point, isn't it? I found I had some success in. Um, I was always getting good marks in geography. And I, and I clung to that all the way through my time at the college. And, and eventually, you know, when it came to making a decision about A-levels, Geography was right up there. It was it was something I absolutely wanted to do, and by then I was really quite interested in the world around us. Combine that with economics, and I absolutely flourished with that. I loved economics. I had a great teacher who just managed to make some of the complex components very, very straightforward and very, very simple. And now, of course, I was very lucky in those days because I got a second bite at the cherry. It was back at the end of the, the 19... 70s when there was still a Cambridge uh, exam up until the point when the school stepped in and said look you really should try it and see if you can get a place at Cambridge and in order to do that I had to go back for what was then a seventh term. I really enjoyed the fact that I was focusing then just on geography because I was applying to read geography at university and we and we stepped up everything from A-level it was no longer just about um, knowing everything about the Norwegian wood industry or you know manufacturing in Britain after the Second World War. We were beginning to unpick 
if you like, the, the science of the subject. And I genuinely found that really, really interesting. And that was the beginning of my geography career. It's fascinating, isn't it, how what, what attracts you to a subject and then when you start to dig beneath the surface of it a little bit, you know. Listening to you there, I mean, it sounds like at school you pretty quickly learned through your exam results what you were good at and what you weren't good at. When you went to Cambridge, what other things did you sort of learn about yourself, perhaps about your strengths and maybe some of the things, your blind spots or your weaknesses? Um, yeah, no, that's a very good point, isn't it? Um, I think I certainly learned that I was very self-sufficient. Um, I was pretty independent. I learned that I could cope with you know, just getting on with things. I didn't need lots of people around me to be motivated. Growing up, looking back at it, I only had very few friends, a very small number of friends. I didn't need, you know, a wide coterie of people around me, um, you know, and nothing's changed all the way through my life. So I guess that simply crystallised. Um, I realised, I guess in a way, I wasn't necessarily a terrific team player. Uh, that I, you know, enjoyed success for me um, and not necessarily, I get that filtered out in the sport I was doing as well, I guess, I, I, you know, we'll get to it, but this idea that running alongside my academics was, was my sport, my athletics, which I discovered back at Dulwich, I was reasonably good at. Um, and... I flourished in an environment where I was given responsibility and was allowed to get on with it. Um, and what was interesting, did I make mistakes in that process? Yes, absolutely I did. I, I discovered very early on that I didn't like conflict. I still don't like conflict. And that's something which I think I've learned both as a, as a president of the Athletics Club at Cambridge, where I, I should have addressed issues with individuals who I saw as friends um, more as a manager, but I didn't help back from that. Um, so yes, I think I learnt those character traits were in me at school, but I was so focused on those train tracks that were driving me forwards. Um, and I, I flourished in that sort of environment, really. I dread to think what I would be like today when there are, uh, when young people are given so many opportunities, so many, so much choice. I think that would yeah, I think it's very difficult for young people today, um, particularly as, you know, in my sense, I, I saw my subject, I saw I was good at it and I, I focused on it. And I also realised that I was good at this particular sport in, of athletics and I ran the two things parallel to each other and I didn't get distracted by a social life, um, by all these other things. It was interesting, you know, people often say, you know, what have you given up, you know, to be successful in your particular career or your sport? The answer didn't give up anything. You know, these are two things I were good at, I was good at and I was enjoying. Yes, yes, and self-sufficient. And so just to let people know, in athletics, it was really high jump, I think, was, was really your thing. And, that, and you did very well because you went on to represent Wales in the Commonwealth Games in 82 in Brisbane, which must have I did. been a, an adventure. And you were the first 17 year old to clear seven foot. I think I cleared six foot. So you were a long way ahead of me at that, at that And I was point. still at Dulwich when, when I did that. Um, and and uh, even more fortunate in those days when uh, 
the letter arrived saying I'd been selected to represent Great Britain in the Eight Nations Games in Tokyo, Japan. Here we go, back in 1978. And I had to phone the British Amateur uh, Athletic Board, the BAAB as it was in those days, and accept the uh, the invitation, I remember that. Um, but that and it sort was of, an extraordinary experience. That sort of self-sufficiency in you, that you applied to your work at Cambridge and you also applied it to your athletics. Do you think, were there any other sort of parallels, do you think, in your academic studies and how you developed and your athletic career? Oh yes, I think so. I think that this idea of being self-sufficient of and, it, and I took it, take it even further as I move out of my like competitive career into my coaching career um, and also in, in terms of my, my, my teaching career. I think it's the fact that I'm very good at setting targets which are appropriate. And I've learned, learned that you can, you know, we can all set targets which are, you know, only a little bit more than we want to achieve at the moment. And then we achieve them far too easily. Or conversely, we set them way, way, way too far away from us and we're never likely to do, you know, to get anywhere close to them. So I think target setting is something that I've um, worked out works for me. But also to be to work methodically towards something and be responsible for not only, you know, for the consequences, because, of course, something like athletics and to a certain extent teaching is, is not predictable. Um, you'd like it to be um, if if every single person that started out on any career or any athletic um, adventure was guaranteed success, um, the world would be a very different place, wouldn't it? It would. Because it, it's interesting in, in coaching and in teaching as well, it's not just about sort of natural ability, is it? It's about character and all sorts of other things. E even things that are going on in people's lives at, at a particular time can affect academic performance and can affect performance on on the running track or what's, what's your sort of mo what was your motivation to go into teaching and I guess your motivation for coaching which in in one sense must be similar I mean are you looking to see um, the potential the realize the potential in people on the athletics field yes I think that what's, what's the motivation I think that's it's interesting is that I went to my first teaching job uh, in Haberdasher's Asks in Elstree. I was still doing a bit of athletics myself then. And I got the opportunity to go back to Cambridge University and do a little bit of coaching. They they asked me whether would I would I go back. Um, and I just thought, oh, I hadn't really thought of it at that point. And so I did. I started to go back and started to to coach a little bit more. And what was interesting was that I'd started a teaching career and I hadn't quite worked out why. I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't, I didn't want to go into business. I didn't want to, I wasn't a businessman. I'm still not a businessman. I, I, I'm not, you know, Louise, my partner, is an interior designer and she is fabulous at, uh, at uh, dealing with painters and decorators and choosing this, that, that, and, and saying no to people. And I, it just wasn't for me. And I guess I sort of fell into teaching because in the back of my head, I, I knew that I was a communicator at some level and I enjoyed my subject and of course in the early in the early to mid 80s being good at your subject and being able to communicate it was was one of the prerequisites for being a, a good teacher 
And I started coaching at Cambridge and I discovered that I had an ability to take complex movement patterns or the way I organized my thoughts and I, the way I organized training was something that I thoroughly enjoyed and was getting some success for. And it began to almost legitimate the reasons why I'd gone into teaching in the first place. So, you know, ironically, I'd been on these two journeys, athletic journey and, and academic journey. And this was the point at which they were coming together, merging and making me really think about. I didn't I wasn't really desperately motivated to be, you know, a head of department or to be a, you know, a super teacher or anything like that or a manager. But I did want to become a good teacher because I engaged with young people and, and I found a skill of communicating with them, both in athletics and in teaching that seemed to resonate. So tell me, what was it like when you, because um, then you, you moved and you came back to Dulwich as a teacher. And I'm, I'm just interested in how that felt um, as you, you came through the school gates, not as a, a schoolboy, but as a teacher. Did it feel strange? different no not not really i think again maybe it came down to that that ambition side of things that i wasn't desperately driving forward i didn't particularly want to push out across the you know uh, the rest of the country and look for places abroad and thing to teach partly it helped the fact that i was i was actually married at the time to somebody who worked in central london and, and having to commute from elstree into central london was was a, a struggle for them so actually when a job at my old school came up, I came back. Was it difficult? No, not at all in a way, because actually I was quite looking forward to it. Um, I didn't have to, when people said, where is the old library? I went, well, it's over there, you know, and of course other new members of staff had not the foggiest idea. So for me, it was just like putting on a, an old glove, you know, and just sort of re felt really comfortable and just slipped back into the old place to teach there. And so, so on your teaching career, then you you you've stayed at Dulwich and you sort of progressed. You became head of geography uh, there. How did you find that change in role from perhaps being, I guess, less at the front of the classroom and more organising and managing behind the scenes? No, I think I mean that's a, that is a, a good question because when I started at the college, or even when we were both at the college, heads of department were. Absolutely, the figureheads, weren't they? They were the, the academic you know, leaders in the department. They got their, their roles because they knew more about English or geography or maths than anybody else. And, and administration was kept to a minimum, really, wasn't it, in that, in that respect? But of course, as I was moving into being a head of department, this was in the late 90s, things were changing. Uh, there was a much greater expectation then of administration, much greater expectation, even more these days, of course, of managing a team. Um, very little help was given in terms of doing that. There was an expectation that, well, you've just you know, reached a point in your career where you can do it, can't you? But what I was good at, and I think throughout my entire time as a head of department, was, was talking to people. This idea of, you know, I, I watch... Um, managers today emailing each you know their their team from the other side of the room when actually it might be easier just to to get up walk across and have a quiet conversation ask them about their 
problems suggest that they, you know, and help them. I think I've always been a mentoring head of department. Um, I've always believed very, very strongly that if I'm asking somebody to do something, then I should have done it before. So, you know, I will absolutely make sure I go on field trips, for example, I used to do that. I'm, I'm not very good at delinking, if you like, my emotions and who I am as a person from the job that I'm doing. Um, and I would say that that hasn't changed. I, I always feel anxious, possibly when I shouldn't do, about the responsibility I seem to have to other people or, or you know, find it very difficult. You know, ends of terms, for example, very difficult to, to, to unwind and to stop doing things. It's probably because you're taking it seriously and you care, you know, so it's, it, it, that, those are emotional things. And um, to decouple them for you, it just wouldn't be right, would it? I think it's... No, I think, think it's, it's, it's I, would, I, I still find it very difficult. Yeah, yeah. So if you, if you look back on your, your career so far, um, has there been one event which you think sort of marked your career or had, had the biggest influence on you? No is the answer to that. I think my career has gently unwound over the course. Crikey, I've been at the college over 30 years now. It's been a journey that I've been happy to go on because of running alongside it has been my athletics. And they continue to, to take me on a journey throughout my time. And I was very, very lucky to be a head of department at a time when I could also be an international high jump coach and run those two careers together, one of which I got paid for and the other one I did not. I had a certain amount of success in my coaching career. I was very lucky to take athletes all the way through to Olympic Games and World Championships. And that was something I enjoyed massively. I got huge highs from, from when things went well obviously but it didn't then say right well why don't you you know do something with that as far as your athletics career is concerned and, and and push the teaching to one side I tried it in the early days in the early 90s but the trouble was then there was very little career development available in athletics I would love to have been a full-time athletics coach for which I was paid. But when I was, if you like, starting my career as, a, as a, an athletics coach, there were only eight full-time coaches in the whole country. Well, you know, there was almost no chance that I was going to get a job then. I could have gone to the States and, and started there, but that was, you know, that was not something I was wanted or prepared to do. So, the answer to your question is, you know, I've been very lucky in life that the two things that I am both good at and enjoy have run together and continue to run together for a very, very long time. And the other part of my personality, I guess it comes from the, you know, I don't like confrontation sort of thing, is that I've managed my career in a way that is, if you like, I've always put it, don't, you know, don't start throwing your toys out of the pram. So I tend to plan ahead for, you know, when I thought I'd want, not want to be a head of department any longer, I let the school know in good time. I said, well, I think a decade is probably enough time. And I did that two years before. You know, I'm looking to retire next year. And I set that up 
two years ago. Now, so this idea of having an evolving career over which I have some control, which I guess is not something that I've actually, you could argue, done in a terribly positive or uh, aggressive way, but more in a sort of a more benign and gentle way that has allowed me to continue to do the things I like to do for as long as I want to do them. Um, and then move on to something else. Exactly. Well, I think it's great because it, it shows that, you know, the two things that you were seen to be good at at school, and of course you're learning, aren't you, what you're good at, you know, the athletics on the one hand and, and the geography on the other hand have just been two tracks, which I, I was thinking they're like parallel railway tracks, but actually mm. they're not because they're connected by the coaching, you know, yeah. doing the coaching and the athletics and, and the coaching or the teaching you know, in the, in the classroom. And that just speaks of, of who you are. I think you've, you know, you've been who you've you know, sort of made to be, you know, in, in those two spheres, which connect via coaching. I think it's lovely. No, I've been very lucky in that, in that respect. Um, and as I say, I, you know, what's interesting, of course, is that my athletics coaching has continued, and my athletics has continued to take me all around the world. So as a geographer, it's, it's been wonderful. I, I get to do both. Um, although I have to say a lot of athletics trips aren't very much more than you get off the plane, coach takes you to the hotel, you watch the track meet and then you get back on the plane and you come back home to London. But the principle's right. I do a bit of, bit of research oh, about good. the place I've it's been good. to. It's good. You know, looking back on, uh, you know, the young Trevor who was perhaps going back for his, you know, the extra term before going to Cambridge, what, what would be the advice you'd give, uh, you'd give to him? I think the answer to that is you are largely defined, I think, by the sort of person that you are. I recognise that. I recognise the fact that I was very single-minded, devoted to my sport and to achieving academically. But actually, I think that I see the weaknesses in that now, you know, with hindsight and I would encourage the 16 year old Trevor to be a little bit more ambitious to go out and do other things when I was a youngster but I would definitely say come on Trevor you've got you've got to be a bit take a few more risks be a bit more ambitious do a few more other things because I think that would have allowed me to have just peeked outside the railway carriage, if we're going to continue that analogy, um, and seen that perhaps there were other things in life that I may not necessarily have been any good at, but could possibly have enjoyed. And, you know, it may have just developed slightly more facets of my personality than I've allowed to happen over the years. So that's the short answer, you know, just maybe get off the train a little bit more frequently, once in a while. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.